0: Hi, welcome back to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark. How's it going Mark?
1: Good. Well we we're I'm enjoying the, the post-glorious reality of just eating a fantastic bunch of pastries. <laughs> Which which it's funny like I realized which just before we were getting prepared to come on air we always speak speaking about food for about ten minutes which I realize is a Melbourne thing this is what I've noticed to chat about food well, see
0: some some things aren't changing in our world
1: no well I mean we couldn't go and get the food we did for the intrepid listener we um, had to order it through the network
0: oh the, the network the
1: digital network and you pressed a button on your phone and coffees were brought to from the coffee shop which we can't go to. Um, because we're only allowed to go to one food store per day. And, um, yeah, so we, we still get to live our Melbourne life, we albeit do. changed.
0: And what a marvellous, marvellous segue into what we are talking about. So last week, Mark, you gave us a bit of an overview of what this meta shift is, this meta change that is going on in our world from the industrial age into a networked age. And we can see and feel this happening around us, but today we're going to unpack a little bit more about what a network actually looks like. What does this mean? What are the implications? So, Mark, can you explain why this is important for leaders? Why are we even talking about this?
1: Well, I think like one, of, one of the great passions I, I have and God's really built in me in the last few years has been the desire to see the church renewed, individuals mm. renewed, the world renewed through Christ. And I think, you know, to lead into renewal in the next stage, you know, there's there's always this process of reading the culture in order to know how to serve the culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think part of understanding what renewal look like in the next phase requires us to understand how networks work. Um, Peter Senge um, wrote a book um actually arguing a few years ago now, maybe 15, 20 years ago, called The Fifth Discipline, and he was arguing for leaders uh, very early on to make this change in their thinking Mm -hmm. Um, and that without an understanding of networks and systems that leaders, um, and here's the quote, end up painting lovely pictures of the future with no deep understanding of the forces that must be mastered to move from here to there. Without systems or network thinking, the seed of vision falls on harsh soil. And that quote, you know, I read years and years ago when I looked at that book and just picked it up again recently and it just so struck me. Like in some ways, you know, I've had so many people say, I had my plans for 2020. There's this joke like my plans are gone for Mm. 2020. Um, But that's like, you know, without systems or network thinking, the seed of vision falls on harsh soil. And just as I think 2020 and the COVID-19 virus upended many of our visions and plans, Mm. particularly as a church, our, our church life completely changed i think the same is going to happen as the networked world continues to disrupt and you know Sengi talks about and other people speak about this too the idea of almost like the old model um, was you know here's a vision we're just going to bang towards it and mm-hmm. through building the right institution exercising the right kind of leadership and power we can get to that vision through grunt and determination and really that sort of thinking is dependent upon the environment not changing Yes. um but as we'll learn a networked world is a world of constant disruptions um so we need an understanding um Joshua Cooper ramo um, who writes about networks he he has this word he calls it the seventh sense mm. which is almost this intuitive feel that you have to have for how networks work um and you know I believe that you know most of us as we spoke about last episode, Really, our understanding of leadership, of, of influence, of how organisations work, how, how the world and culture works is shaped by the old industrial age. Um, but we now need to, I think, develop that seventh sense. Now, he defines the seventh sense, in short, is the ability to look at any object and see the way in which it is changed by connection. Interesting. Um, so getting a feel for that is absolutely an essential skill for leaders going into, I think, the next phase.
0: Interesting. So... What you're kind of saying is we need to step away from our current circumstances and have kind of a, a bird's eye view of what's happening so that we're not sort of pushed and, and moved by whatever's happening but we actually have insight into the the meta change that's happening and that's what we're doing here, right?
1: Totally. I mean it, it's so interesting because I think like um, – part of the problem in the world and in our interpretation is we're looking through these effects of network change but we're looking at it through them through the old categories of yes. the industrial, you know. Just one example, there was an interesting um, uh, article by George Packer about some of the the protests that emerged out of the Black Lives, movement, uh, Black Lives Matter movement and he talked about, um, you know, the protesters at one point were around... Um, The White House in in Washington. And you can see that. There's almost this sense where you've got this networked movement, but it's going to the central hub of power. And he had this one line, which I thought was so fascinating in that article. He goes, the rioters or something. I think it's something like, the rioters had gotten to the White House but not realised that the president himself was a rioter. And the idea that, you know, Trump's campaign was run as an insurgent networked campaign, Mm. in which undid these centralised... Um, uh, institutional Republican Party as we understood it. You know, to get ahead in the Republican Party, you had to move through the institutions. You had these families like the Bushes, you know, had people like Mitt Romney who worked their way up, you know, became like a a low-level politician or, you know, party hack and then you know you moved your way to the top and then Trump just comes completely from left field mobilizes this network so in a sense understanding this dynamic helps us understand uh the world today and and almost to understand that we just have to understand essentially what the basics of a network is I mean mm. effectively a network is essentially just a set of relationships um Uh, The difference between a set of components um, on the ground, I'm just going to use an example that you can't see at home, but I can see here that uh, Daniel, our intrepid sound man, setting up for today, um, there's two types of chords in this room. I don't know, I'm not a tech person, but there's a bunch of chords that are not connected to each other that Daniel has very neatly put in piles, but they're disconnected. What are they? They're a set of components. They're simply elements that are disconnected from each other. Mm -hmm. But then there's another set of chords that we are actually speaking through. This message is getting to you through these set of chords that are going outside of this sealed room to to you, (laughs) Liddy, all the way to the other end of this hall where Daniel is, sealed off in his own reality out there. This is a network. So the difference between exact same chords in piles, disconnected, and then these chords, the difference is connection. So a network is all about connection. That's really important for people to understand. Okay. And then there's these different elements then. Once you connect things, you know, there's nodes, there's connections, there's hubs – um and networks can be complex or simple networks can be the group of friends that you talk to about something Mm -hmm. um literally if you know you won um you know a million dollars Liddy. um yes please (laughs) through i don't know an uber eats um voucher is that even possible this is i don't know terrible metaphor but i'll (laughs) continue um there would be, and that, and then you told one person that would move through a social network at incredible speed. So your friends are a network. Yes, they'd um, be
0: quite thrilled about it.
1: You'd, you'd hope so. Mm. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. Uh, what's what's even going to happen? What are we talking about? Um, there's this really fascinating um, thing that they discovered looking at social networks that if you if your friends put on ten kilograms in weight, or if they lose ten kilograms in weight it's something like 90% you're going to lose or put on 10 kilograms. Now, no one's telling you to do this. This mm. is the power of social networks. Um, so everything from the group of friends that you hang out with to um, how news travels. Um, I mean, you think about that classic um, six degrees of separation yes. um, experiment. Um, there was a famous one they did where they they tried to prove the six degrees of separation experiment. And I think they, they took an Iraqi... It was an Iraqi guy who worked in a service station and said, who's your favourite actor? And I think it was Sean Connery. Right. And then they basically proved that an Iraqi guy who works at a a service station, petrol station, is six degrees of separation from Sean Connery and they proved it. You know, they worked it out. Yeah. Um, You know, so there's these – this oh, the Kevin Bacon thing is the other famous one. You know, find (laughs) any actor – and you can six degree, or was it three movies or something? We'll do
0: that after this We'll episode. do this after
1: this. We'll spend the rest of the afternoon doing that. Um, <laughs> so there's those social connections. But then also, you know, you see in nature, you see mm. the the complexity of an ecosystem. Yeah. Um, that just even in the garden outside here, there's a whole ecosystem of birds, of flowers, of bees, of insects, of, of spiders and mice and, and whatever things are out there. So... You know, that's essentially the basics of what a network is.
0: Networks are connecting things. Yes. They are connections primarily.
1: Yes, but there's an extra thing and this is really key to understand. Okay, Like just just as I said with those cords, Mm -hmm. once you connect them, you change them. So those cords on the ground that Daniel has, which are simply components, the ones that we are speaking through and the information is going through, they're radically changed. Their nature has changed. Mm -hmm. So the other thing to understand of a network is that A network connection changes the nature of things. Now, let me give you an example of this. Sure. Um, If you took a photo um, of, say, you and a friend Mm -hmm. um, uh, going for a walk um, today, um, later on today, in your one hour of allocated (laughs) exercise, no more than five kilometers from your home. and you just took a photo and left it on your phone, right? Yep. That's a very different thing too. If you then put that photo, which you, you know, just say if you kept it on your phone, you look at it and, oh, that's nice. And, and maybe you send it to your friend and that's it. If you put that photo up on Instagram, mm. instantly the nature of that photo changes.
0: So you're not saying that the photo itself changes, but what are you saying has changed?
1: The nature of the photo and the role it's playing by connecting it to this web you might right. have people look at that and go, oh, good on you, Lydia. You're doing that. You know, we see you're in, in Melbourne in lockdown, you're getting out, keep your head up. You might have other people like have other people like, oh, hang on, why is she not walking with me? Um, you could have other people like, oh wow, well, I love her sneakers, why can't I have a pair like that? There's there's, <laughs> there's this bizarre thing that happens to to photos. Yes. Um, that you put them up online, and the fact that you're connecting them changes its nature. Mm. So there's this really fascinating things about networks that once you connect them to, to networks, uh, sorry to to elements of a network, once you connect them, their nature uh, changes. And so what's happening is we're not just experiencing connection; we're experiencing hyperconnection. Everything that was once far is mm. now near, and and also that. You know, it was once often near feels far. So, for example, you know, um, you know, I think we talked about it last time. You can see these things on the news um, that, uh, uh, you know, are really traumatic yes. videos that in the past you would have read about in the world news section which wouldn't have felt as emotive and real, but now it's like they're brought close. Mm. So, like, hang on, we all have to deal with this. Um, so there's that element that what was, you know, far is brought near. Another example too is... You know, just reading today, um, you know, New Zealand after 100 days of no infections from coronavirus um, has first community transmission,
0: mm. and
1: you know, just just literally looking at before we came on on air, that you know, there's a theory that actually that could have done through packaging through freight, and they're found in uh, in some markets in China that I think it's frozen seafood had coronavirus on it. Yes. So you think about that because New Zealand is in a network. Uh, where 100 years ago, people would have been eating fish in New Zealand, but it would have been caught most likely in waters off New Zealand. Yeah, sure. But now frozen fish in a port in China, someone touched that with coronavirus. So it brings what was far near. Mm. But then weirdly, the other thing with a network is you don't talk to people in your own street. You don't no. need to. It's been really interesting with coronavirus, like how much we have become more connected in lockdown to our streets. Yeah. I was in my street yesterday talking to neighbours um, before connection, you didn't have to do this. So networks bring things that were far close and make things that are close far simultaneously. And it's really interesting. I guess, I guess the last bit on um, how connection changes things is in many ways, the modern period, um, you know, which began with the Enlightenment and the modern age, um, was really about disconnection. So what you had is you had people who grew up in the same area, they're often sort of connected to almost like tribe, land, religion. And then in the modern age, it was all about movement. It was about the disconnection of individuals from their family culture, from their ethnic culture, from their um, you know, tribal or customs or religion. And there was this idea that people would move to cities and secularism was all about the fact that these people had become disconnected. And, you know, you look at people like Jörg Simmel and, you know, Weber and these people were really concerned in the early sociologists were concerned about the disconnected individual who experienced what they called anomie, this meaninglessness of disconnection Uh and lostness. And, and, you know, Emil Durkheim wrote a book on suicide and he, was the first sort of real study on suicide. And one of his arguments that as people move away from those traditional places of connection, they become adrift in the world. And this is one of the reasons that they harm themselves. But what's really interesting now is that's defined the modern age, the individual doing their own thing. The modern age has been defined philosophically by freedom. Um, yeah, and again, too, we talked about America as the yes. sort of emblematic nation of the industrial era. America really was defined by almost hyper-freedom. You can always continue to move west. You can always reinvent yourself. You know, the sky's the limit. Um, but what's so interesting at the moment is we're moving from a, an age where we've been defined by disconnection, and now individualism and radical individualism is being subverted by hyper connection. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so. COVID-19 is the classic example of this. The classic thing is, mate, I can do what I want. I'm not harming you. Let me live my life. I want to do what I want. You know, I can, if I want to go and get a Big Mac at 2.30 a.m., It's not harming anyone. Yeah. You know, in Melbourne last night, we had two young adults who live-streamed themselves breaking curfew and going to McDonald's at 2.30 a.m. And, you know, they've since been fined as the police saw that video. And what that's done is it's radically changed these sort of things like I can just get away with this and it's not going to affect anyone. You know, it looks like the quarantine was broken in Melbourne by some guards or different people who were like, oh, just, I'll just you know, do this. Who cares, you know? Yeah. So there's this really interesting thing, that particularly in some of the Anglo-American countries, uh, particularly the US, you can just see how the reality of a networked world and hyperconnectivity that viral infection teaches us about mm-hmm. is actually clashing with the value of freedom and radical individualism. And almost all our political understandings born out of the Enlightenment and that period of disconnection were based in a political philosophy of individual freedom, Mm -hmm. but a hyper-connected world is now bringing that, you know, we have to rethink that is what a lot of people are saying. So, for example, China, um, you know, has been able to track um, the virus um, through people's cell phones because they have a lower value on individual freedom. But then their argument is, well, we've actually, you know, like I got talking to a friend the other day, talking to his, you know, friends and family in Beijing. It's mm. like they're just, they're getting along with life. So there's this fascinating implications that, that what this hyperconnection actually has for countries and cultures, which are still holding high to radical individualism and how connectivity absolutely changes that dynamic.
0: Well, if the industrial age had particular kind of rules that governed how it worked, are there unspoken rules that govern networked societies, networked age?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, networks, one of the really interesting things that scientists have Uh, studied networks, be they social networks, um, be they networks in nature, is that they've discovered these rules. Um, A scientist, I think he writes for Nature um, Journal, uh, Mark Buchanan wrote a book called Small Worlds about nature's hidden networks. And it's really interesting how they discovered that networks be, you know, they're different parts of nature, different parts of social world, follow these really similar rules. How the internet is developing is actually developed in a really similar way to some stuff we've seen in nature. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting. He has this line where he it says, it's almost as if this is a divine design. Oh, And he says, almost supernatural. I thought, oh, that's really, really interesting. Um, and again, to, you know, like I guess bringing up... Um, You know, that point of individualism and Western individualism um, is that one of the dynamics of networks is really interrelationship and causation. So something, this is the butterfly effect, something Mm -hmm. happening over here has the potential to affect the whole of the network. So in a network, small things can have big effects. Yeah. Okay. And again, COVID nineteen. You know,
0: classic example. Classic
1: example. Whether you know whether it was the the wet market in Wuhan, did it you know break out of the the laboratory there? Who knows? But somewhere, probably someone made a small mistake or a tiny thing happened, and it's had this huge influence in the world. Mm. Um, you know, small things in a network. Um, you know, I just watched the Chernobyl um, you know series, and you know some small mistakes made in the control room. Of the Chernobyl power plant in uh, you know the Soviet Union, then had tremendous ecological effects for almost the whole of Western Europe. Um, uh, So small things in a network lead to. uh, Another one is um, there was a uh, internet virus, um, and I think it was the Israelis, um, the Israeli intelligence services. Um, wanted to create this virus to infect the Iranians' power nuclear power program because they're trying to get a bomb. Okay, so they sent this um, virus in, which was effective and and basically. Um, you know, destabilize this this place without making potentially nuclear weapons. But then it broke free and went around the entire world and became a, a uh, I've forgotten the name of it, but it became like a computer virus that affected the entire world uh, of computers because Oops. once something gets into a network, causation means things multiply. Yeah. And so in a sense... Um, you know, to, we, you know, this comes back to the point that we really need to understand that the rules have changed mm-hmm. and we need to gain a sense of what this seven senses, you know, Cooper Ramo calls it, this sense of how do we operate now with this new set of rules.
0: Yeah, okay. So with this in mind, how does this impact the church? What are the implications for
1: church? I think there's a, there's a couple of really, really important ones. I, I, think, I think first of all, A lot of our conversation around church, again, informed by that industrial understanding, talks about disconnection. So, for example, you know, either you're hiding from the world Mm -hmm. or you're trying to engage the world. And I think network completely undoes this sort of thinking that almost this idea of like I'm in a Christian ghetto sealed off from the world Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk Um, In the last few years, you know, people talk about things like the Benedict Option, Rod book, which is almost like, you know, arguing Christians in the United States and Europe should just retreat from culture and let culture Mm. do its thing. But really what a network world is saying, that's impossible. There's Mm. nowhere where you can go. Again, the New Zealand... COVID-19 example is a classic example. There's nowhere in this world you can go that if you think about it, in the industrial age, you could have a church which broke away so it was doing its own thing. Mm. People got their information through the denominational newsletter, what yes. the preacher was preaching, read these books. Now it's all happening in your churches. Like in a sense, you are just one tiny information source amongst a bunch of different information sources going on inside your church. So our engagements with culture need to be rethought Um, you know, through the prism of networks. I mean, one way to think about cultures is there's two theories around cultures. You know, there's the islands and the continent theory. So Mm -hmm. the islands theory is seeing all cultures as... Um, separate from each other, like different islands. So, you know, uh-huh. I'm going to leave Australian culture and then I'm going to come over to your culture through coming across this sea. Yes. Yeah, you know, you, people like, you know, anthropologists You know, say, actually, the world's much more like continents. Everything bleeds into each other. You know, all yeah. these interesting conversations now about cultural appropriation. You know, a lot of the argument is where everything's a melange it's a blend of yes. things you know like what is baklava is it greek is it turkish you know there's disputed <laughs> things it's here. delicious it's delicious so there's a sense to that the idea that you can hide from the world engage the world like you're engaging with the world the world's engaging with you mm. we're constantly in connection
0: it's that no man is an island totally concept yeah
1: And and i think the second point too is like You know, I remember reading a lot about networks about 10, 15 years ago as I was, you know, thinking about church and a lot of people were thinking about, you know, what is the shape of the church in the 21st century and, you know, I almost got it wrong early on by going, Mm. oh, the church must become a network. So you look at these movements throughout history, the early church, you know, the the Methodists, the Jesuits, Mm. where they almost became this networked identity and uh, entity and that's true. Um, But I think too it's like it's not like, oh, the answer then is to become a network network. it's more actually about understanding, first of all, before you have like, how do become a movement, how to become a network, you have to understand that actually you're in a networked world now. Yes. And, and what that change means. And the last one, which I think probably we need to do an entire episode on next okay, week. Okay, yeah. Is, and this is where actually a lot of, I think the felt issues that people are experiencing is that. Networks fundamentally change the concept of power Mm. and how power works. And what networks are doing is draining power away from established power bases, be they parliament, congress, Mm -hmm. city hall to someone with a a computer and even in churches from senior pastors, person of power to now people with phones on the church's Instagram page writing comments.
0: (laughs) Well, I look forward to, yeah, examining the implications of Instagram pages, but more importantly, looking at that shifting of power in our world in our next episode. Thank you so much, Mark.
1: Pleasure.